When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we celebrate the real stars of the show with the guys from Bird Dog of the Day. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 242. Welcome to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We're talking all about our bird dogs today with a couple of the guys from Bird Dog of the Day. You may know their Instagram account. If you don't, I encourage you to check it out or visit their website. Check out some of the cool things they have to offer. And if nothing else, you will learn a little bit more about the people behind Bird Dog of the Day on this episode of the show. A quick thank you to Patreon patrons of the Bird Chat Podcast, those of you out there making voluntary contributions in support of the show and helping to keep these conversations coming your way. I really appreciate it. You can learn more and sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. 
All right, we're going to dip into the Birdshot Podcast email inbox briefly with a question from a listener. Emailer Nathan writes, Nick, I started listening to your podcast last year and really enjoy it. I grew up hunting with labs. After losing my lab last summer, I decided to go with a pointing dog. I've always admired English setters, and my family and I were able to get a puppy this summer. I like how much you talk about English setters on your podcast. I am a wildlife biologist in South Dakota and hunt the prairies, but it has always been a dream of mine to hunt the Northwoods. I've been listening to all your podcasts and reading up on grouse hunting in the Northwoods. I would like to make a trip to the Northwoods next year. One specific question I had was what kind of dog bill do you use on your English setters? I think you talked about this on one of your podcasts, but I can't remember which one. What was the brand and size of bell you mentioned? Thanks, Nathan, for writing into the show. Thanks for the kind words, and thank you for listening, of course. As for the bells, I have mentioned this a number of times. The bells I use are typically softer toned, reason being I always have GPS collars on my dog. So the bell is there to provide me more feedback and awareness on where my dogs are and what they are doing in the woods where we can't see them. When I go out to the prairie and hunt, I do not run a bell on my dog. I don't need to. I can see the dogs. The GPS collar is sufficient enough in telling me where they are if they go over a hill or a rise or something like that. So no bells out there. The bell is something I appreciate in the grouse woods, and that is because of the limited visibility purely. There is a real-time awareness of where your dog is that is only translated through the bell. It can somewhat be with a beeper, but you have gaps in between if you're running on run-in point mode, that sort of thing. The GPS collar does not do it unless you are staring at your GPS screen. And even that, there is a delay. So to each their own, however you want to do it, you want to run your dog silent in the grouse woods, I get it. I don't like that. I like knowing exactly where my dogs are. And I like hearing the change of pace and cadence in the bell. It gives me information on what my dogs are doing. It gives me information in hindsight. If there's a bird contact that let's say I don't get to, it can give me an indicator as to did my dog move before the bird flushed or did the dog stay steady until the bird flushed. There's just so much information, albeit subtle at times, that I get from the bell that I just I value that way too much to hunt without it. And then I also think there's just an overall safety factor to it. Just again, knowing where your dog is at all times. I've talked about running a dog silent in the woods. You get flashes or glimpses of that dog. The dog You see the dog casting to the right and maybe whatever the conditions are that day, wind, soft cover, foliage, you lose track and sound of the dog. And the next time you see the dog, you're almost surprised by its whereabouts because you had no idea the course that it took through the cover and all of a sudden ended up, say, on the other side of where you were expecting it to be. I just find that to be much, much less of an occurrence rate when I'm using bells. And again, going back to, I value that. That's the way I like to hunt in the grouse woods, having that knowledge of where my dog is. So back to the point that the listener is getting at, because I have a GPS collar and I don't need a long range location on my dog, I run softer bells because I just think it helps to minimize the noise for the dog and me. I don't need a really loud bell. I don't need to hear that. If my dog does end up out of bell range, I've got the GPS, right? But also I think having a quieter bell benefits the dog a little bit because they can hear, in theory, they should be able to hear a little bit more and they're not being drowned out by a loud bell right by their ears. So it's twofold a little bit, but the bells that I like to run have come to appreciate are Swiss bells, which is kind of a generic term. I have seen them sold and listed 
for sale by different manufacturers, I think, but certainly different outlets, supply outlets. I've seen them come and go on certain supply outlets. I think the last one I bought was off Amazon. If you search Swiss Bell, you should find them. And the ones I've been seeing recently, I think are from a place called Colorado Saddlery, and they are on Amazon, and I think maybe one of the other dog supply websites. There's a bunch of different sizes. They have this kind of weird sizing metric that I do not understand, but it's some kind of numerical thing where the higher the number, the smaller the bell. And the ones that I run are eights and tens, I believe. The eight is actually one of them. You can hear it probably. All it says on the bell is there's a logo that looks like a sheep or a goat. There is an eight That's the bigger one of the two that I have. It also says Swiss made. So again, Swiss bell, which I said was a generic term. I don't know what makes a Swiss bell a Swiss bell other than they all seem to kind of have the same shape to them and they are not super loud bells in my experience. Imagine the bigger you go, maybe they get louder. I'm not sure. I've only used these, but this one was actually found in an antique store and gifted to me by my good buddy Simon, who has given me a bunch of gifts over the years. He's a listener of the show, and he's very, very kind. But I love this bell. This one I run on Hartley, my 50-pound English setter. And I guess I just run it on him because it's a little bigger, and he's a little bigger dog than Rose. The other one is not labeled or stamped or anything. And I believe I got this bell when Hartley was just a puppy. I think I got it from Gundog Supply, but I honestly can't remember at this point. It looks like a Swiss bell. I remember it was called a Swiss bell. It's a small little bell. And that is naturally Rose's bell, the 37 pound little female English setter. Just pulling out a tape measure here. It's about two inches tall, just under two inches tall and about an inch and a half wide. And I believe that is a size 10. So all of that said, those are the bells that I run. Those are the the reasons I run one. And I have come to like these Swiss bells because they function the way I described I want a bell to function. Now, the other thing you can do, which was a little tip given to me by the breeder of my dogs, Jerry Coulter, is you can take any old bell that you have. If it's a long range field trialing style bell that has a really nice sound to it and a long range carry, you can wrap electrical tape around the clacker to varying extents. You can, you know, you can stretch electrical tape to effectively thin it out and wrap it once around, twice around, whatever. You can play around with it to get the right level of sound and carry you want out of your bell. So you don't have to go buy a new bell, a Swiss bell. If you have a bell with a heavier clacker and a longer range carry, you can experiment with electrical tape to soften that clacker a little bit and kind of get it in the range that I'm talking about. So I probably should do videos on stuff like this and make it into an Instagram reel or something, but I don't know. I always think of this stuff when I'm doing the podcast and talk to the listeners. So once again, thanks to Nathan for writing into the Birdshot podcast. You can email me at nick at birdshotpodcast.com. And that's a little bit of information on the bells I like to run in the grouse woods. All right. How about a quick grouse woods report? We are a third of the way into October at this point. Don't blink. You'll miss it. Kind of crazy. But with that said, the switch kind of flipped last week after we had a little heat come through. And now we've got some nice cool temps. The woods have thinned out quite a bit, but it's still plenty green. There's a lot of vegetation around. We really haven't had much for frost. So at least in the areas I've been hunting, the ground vegetation and weeds are still quite thick, which isn't a huge deal, but it does give the birds a few more places to hide. But the cool temps have probably been the biggest 
boon for the last week or so of hunting. It's really, really nice to be out in the woods right now. Much, much better for the dogs and just allows for overall a much more enjoyable hunt. So that's been fun. There's birds in the woods. This is the time of year when if you got a chance to go, you better get out there. We don't want to miss days like this. We are in the heart of it now and it's a lot of fun. I was hunting some oakier stuff over the past few days, finding acorns in the crops of grouse, some hazel catkins, birch catkins. Seems to be a lot of food in the woods right now. There's plenty of green leaves and green vegetation, so they're eating aspen leaves and wild strawberry and that sort of thing. Clover. There's plenty of clover in the woods still. We just have not had the frost. So food sources are really not limited in the areas that I've been hunting, but the birds do appear to be dispersing and shuffling a bit, finding them outside of traditional brooding cover and dispersing into some of that marginal habitat so that's a good sign for hunts to come and again this is prime time really from here on out until the mercury drops and the snow flies this is a rough grouse hunter's favorite time of year so i hope all of you out there are enjoying it getting some time spent in the field whether you're in the grouse woods or not i hope you're following a dog somewhere maybe have a hunt plan this weekend get out there and have some fun stay safe and enjoy your time of field all right with that said let's talk to the folks from bird dog of the day and welcome into the conversation and onto the Birdshot Podcast, Seth Patterson and Mike Gashko. I would like to welcome both Mike and Seth to the Birdshot Podcast. Thank you for joining us today, guys. I'm really excited to have you on here talking a little bit of bird dog of the day among other things why don't we start with some quick intro seth we'll start with you thanks nick excited to be on the podcast um i'm a big fan uh my name is seth patterson <clears throat> um i started bird dog of the day a couple of years ago with my friend hyatt uh he's not on the podcast today um but mike is on as well he's a partner that joined bird dog of the day <clears throat> earlier this year um i'm based in northwest oregon Married my high school sweetheart. I'm a lab guy. I've always had labs. More of a waterfowler than an upland guy. So I'll get that out of the way early <laughs> on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, but I, I definitely do enjoy upland hunting as well. Um, I run the Bird Dog of the Day Instagram account uh, and do all of the marketing that folks see online uh, as far as the website and everything customer facing. Um, but um, yeah, I'm excited to chat today. All things bird dogs. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Mike, let's hear from you. Oh, uh, good morning, Nick. Thanks for having us on. Um, like Seth, I'm excited to share uh, a little bit about Bird Dog of the Day and, and the community that we have and that we're building. Uh, as far as myself, I'm, um, I'm a corporate lawyer and a real estate lawyer by trade, and I'm still uh, up to my neck in that. So I'm, I'm trying to make time to uh, get out into the uplands and, and walk behind my four Picardy Spaniels that... Uh, I imported over the course of the last, uh, I don't know, three, four, five years, uh, starting in 2017. Um, I, uh, I'm located in Southwest Florida, but I spent a lot of time in North Georgia and also in Central Montana. So I get to be uh, sort of a connoisseur of upland game birds and, and get to select the best from, from each of those regions. So uh, that's pretty exciting. And I'm, I'm getting ready to head west here in the next week or so. That's going to take me... Uh, up through Minnesota and North Dakota, South Dakota, and on over into uh, central Montana, where I'll spend some time this fall uh, chasing sharp tail and hopefully some uh, some Hungarian partridge if I can find it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, 
coming through Minnesota, you might be going right past me, Mike. Probably not far from you. A couple hours, maybe. All right. We'll have to keep in touch on that. Um, it's man. There's so many different directions to go here. I, I want to cover some stuff, but I who who has been out hunting lately, uh, Mike? I, I don't know what the weather's like down there. I can't imagine it's any cooler than it is here, and we're we're dealing with some heat here. But uh, who's been out? Who's been out hunting lately? Hyatt. <laughs> Hyatt's our Hyatt's our partner. He's in he's in our at our headquarters area in Lewistown, okay. Montana, and he, I know he's been out on sharpies quite a bit. Um, they just opened a, an early season uh, pheasant hunt out here that I declined to go to. Um, I'm pretty busy with four kids. I don't have a ton of discretionary time yeah. right now, but um, I've got wood ducks in my backyard. So once duck season comes around, I'll definitely be hunting. Here in about three or four weeks, I'm planning on heading up to Lewistown to hunt with Mike and Hyatt for sharpies and roosters okay. and whatever else is happening. Um, and otherwise, I'll be probably in December... We're January. I'll head over to the Chucker Hills in North Central Oregon um, and uh, have a go at some Chucker. Maybe uh, maybe do a little steelheading at the same time with my fly nice. rod. The cast and blast guy. Yes, 100%. <laughs> very much so. Um, I'm with you there. I, I don't have four kids. I have two, but um, I know all about having to sort of focus in on, on certain hobbies and you know trimming away some others and fishing is i've said it many times before fishing is kind of on the back burner the way back burner for me at this point but i do love to fish so right (laughs) mike how about you i mean is it is it snipe season down there yet or what's going on in florida well we well i'm I'm actually in georgia now i've i've made progress i'm I'm one state north on my on my trip (laughs) that has fits and starts but yeah um you know, dove hunting. Uh, we had some dove shoots uh, er- earlier last month. Uh, there's really not much open here in Georgia. It's still hot, so I've been, you know, working dogs getting ready to come west. And um, as I said, we've had a couple of dove shoots that opened at the beginning of September, and uh, really just trying to get the dogs back in shape. I have uh, my oldest female uh, actually had TPLO surgery uh, last. Uh, June. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's pretty major. Surgery. I, I I know it all too well because one of my dogs had okay, it. Okay, well, we can commiserate then. You know how the recovery process goes. Uh, this was actually yeah. her second one. She had her, her uh, left rear okay. leg done uh, last year, and then, uh, you know, 50% or so of the dogs that get TPLO surgery on one leg end up with needing it on the other. And sure enough, this spring, like clockwork, she did. So she went under the wow. knife June 2nd. So she's... Uh, just past the four-month rehab point, which is uh, where she can get uh, off-leash a little bit. And, um, you know, no hunting, certainly not even hard recreation right now. But So my summer was kind of uh, filled with that. And unfortunately, it meant I neglected the other three. So uh, they need to get in shape quick. And uh, I'm, I've been working on that for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, that's let's dive into that just a little bit cuz it's I mean it does does happen and things come up and I this was a few years ago for me now but so how how old is the dog now? So uh, the the oldest female is named Tilly uh and she is uh 6 and a half going on 7. She'll be 7 in November. So she she okay. blew her uh her left knee out in uh in 2000 in 2022 in montana as a matter of fact uh hunting in the coolies out there and just uh mm. you know was fine going down and uh and when she came back up she was favoring her, her legs so i rest her to the rest of that trip got back to uh 
to Southwest Florida and they said, yeah, sure enough, we've got a tear. And, uh, and so they ended up doing the TPLO. And then this spring, um, nothing as exciting as that. She just was uh, running around in the yard with uh, the other three and came up lame. And sure enough, she had torn the, uh, the right knee. So um, she had that done. And, uh, you know, the great thing about it, it's amazing, the, the technology. You wouldn't think, and for your listeners, it involves cutting the bone in the leg and realigning uh, those two bones, uh, putting a steel plate in, and taking the uh, the tension and the uh, the torsion off of that ligament uh, in the dog's rear leg, and um, you know, knock on wood, uh, first time around she was as good as new in that leg after rehab, and uh, things are looking pretty good this time around. So I may end up with a dog with a double TPLO surgery in the back, and and be as good as new. So uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. Yep. I will, I will keep my fingers crossed for you, but I would, I would share a similar sentiment. You know, I had heard that when I was, when it actually, my dog, same deal. We, we went out, his was kind of a building thing. It all became clear in hindsight. He was, it was like, I think it was a partial tear and it eventually went when we were out on our sharp tail hunt, um, that year. And so it, and it happened the very first run of that season, went out and, and tore it. And I kind of had, I was suspicious leading up to that. And he came back to the truck holding that leg up. And so I kind of knew and rested him the rest of the trip and same deal went home and anyways, got the surgery. And I had heard from folks that, yeah, you, they can make a hundred percent recovery on that TPLO leg. And fast forward now, I've, I've shared this a bit on my podcast, but what we've learned is that at least my my setter Hartley, he was six at the time. I think when he tore it, he has some some sort of arthritis in one of his in his other hip, in his right hip, and because of that, I believe he was overcompensating on that left side and eventually tore the uh, tore the ligament on the left side. And fast forward now, three what are we three years from that surgery, two or three years, and he has made a hundred percent full recovery on that left side. And we fortunately have not had the other side go, but I think that's because he still, he still really favors his left side. So he's pretty much using his TPLO recovered leg a lot more so than his right side. And I actually kind of have in the back of my mind, some, I want to have some conversations about sort of anything we can do to look with some PT and some sporting dog folks about, you know, how could we um, encourage him to use that right side a little bit more with some exercise. And anyways, long story short, the TPLO is, is kind of a, it's a, it's a very effective, uh, surgery for, for that thing. And that my experience with it has been aside from the fact that it kind of sucks to have to do it, but it, it is a great, a great procedure and it can work really, really well. That's been my experience, Mike. Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, as I said, it's to me, it's a medical miracle. Um, I didn't realize you could you could do that with a dog, but right. I guess just given the way that their um, their uh, uh, hind legs are structured, that uh, they can take the pressure off the tendon and and have them be almost as good as new. So, you know, it's difficult. I'm sure you experience the same thing. You know, this is not uh, a golden retriever that's going to you know a non hunting golden retriever that's going to lay around. Right. Your living room for all these guys want to go. And um, Tilly was confined to a crate for, you know, essentially three months. Mm-hmm. And um, just in the last month was able to get out and walk on a on a lead and, uh, you know, get a little more uh, distance every time. 
But to take a, a dog that's bred to go like that and uh, tell them they need to sit in a crate for three months, and particularly when the other three are yeah. are out running around, it's um, it, it's very difficult. My wife and I joke: if she had an a, opposing thumb, she probably would have shot herself. But uh, <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> thank, thank goodness that she didn't because uh, she was she was frustrated to say the least. Though yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. And yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's just uh, you're taking a dog that that loves to do sort of one thing, and and you kind of take that away for a, a some period of time. Um, yeah, it's it's the recovery is is great to see, and it's it's awesome that you can do that. And I would say, from what I understand of sort of the previous methods of fixing that, to your point, um, yeah, the TPLO is is a is a pretty big advancement as far as what is possible. And there's a lot of things that come into play. You know, how old is the dog, and um, that because it's not a it's not inexpensive by any means. So I know that was a that was a big it was a it was a significant decision at the time. But I, in hindsight, I'm I'm very happy we did it because my nine year old setter is he's he's still hunting very well all things considered and uh, we've been real happy with it so hopefully uh hopefully tilly continues that smooth recovery and and has the same recovery on her right side than she did on the first side fingers crossed thanks indeed all right back to you seth now is bird dog of the day you're self-admittedly uh dabbling in in upland hunting i've always heard of us like i've been following bird dog of the day Probably, I, I was reviewing the some of the, the details on it. It sounds like it started in 2013, and I think I first got on Instagram in like 2014. And I remember, I mean, I remember that account being there from very early on, and it it grew pretty large um, r- right away, and obviously has has grown ever since. But let's let's hear a little bit of the background because I remember hearing a bit when you guys took over. Uh, you didn't initially start it back in 2013, but give me the history a bit on Bird Dog of the Day. Yeah, thanks for asking. It's a pretty interesting, unique, and cool origin story, I guess. So, yeah, I think I got an Instagram account in 2013 as well, something like that. And and it was one of the first accounts that I followed, and it kind of got pretty high on my radar. Um, in fact, it was like my favorite Instagram account, um, probably because they featured my dog. <laughs> <laughs> I had a Chocolate Lab Milo. He was my... You know, I say he was my dog of a lifetime, although who knows if I'll say that again, right? Um, but um, they featured him in 2013, and so, um, and I just thought it was so cool. I was like, what is this thing? You know, like, it's not like winning a, a NAVDA <clears throat> award of some sort, or it's not like it's a, it holds any weight. It's just kind of a, you know, social stamp of approval, I suppose. It's just, you know, it's all in good fun. But in right, any case, right. that's how I knew about the account. Um, and my background professionally is in corporate marketing. Um, I ran digital marketing for Pendleton Woolen Mills, um, kind of a premier wool blanket company for six years. So direct-to-consumer e-commerce marketing is my professional background, and I always felt like social media as well. I also felt, I always felt like Bird Dog the Day needed to be something more than it was. Like, I just felt like it was such an awesome um, community, really, um, and it was all user-generated content. Um, I throw in marketing words oftentimes when I'm talking, <laughs> like, just normal, so, but... Um, I try not to sound too businessy, but I'm equally, uh, I am equally, um, like a marketing kind of nerd as well as, um, like a bird dog guy, a hunter, you know, so it's been a perfect fit for me. But in any case, I always felt like it needed to be a business, like somebody needed to, to turn it into something. I didn't know what it was. Um, but in any case, so gosh, what was it? 2022, 
no, sorry, 2020. It was sometime around the pandemic. Yeah. I reached out to the account owner. I just said, hey, is this something that you would be willing to to give up? You know, and it, they at first they, they weren't looking to. Turns out it was a, a mom and daughter in, in Oregon, of all places. No so not too far from where I live, actually. Um, they weren't, you know, business people. They just had a, a German short hair and enjoyed building the community. And they had been consistent, you know, posting a different dog every single day. Like the, the model was so simple. Like they just featured a different bird dog every day and they, and they didn't change it. You know how like, like, you know, whether it's a hunting forum or an Instagram account or something, a lot of times, you know, things get ruined when people like turn it into a business, you know, get overloaded with ads. Um, what they did is they just kept it consistent. That's why it was, I think a lot of people love it. Um, but, um, so when I, I acquired the account from them in 2021, I want to say March 1st, 2021 might've been my first post. <laughs> um, I was so excited about it. Um, and I, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do with it, but, um, my, my friend Hyatt, uh, who's, he's in his twenties. I'm in my thirties. Mike's a, a lot more wise than us and a little bit older than us. <laughs> so it's, it's cool that the three of us are in three different life stages. And yeah, that's cool. Ge- geographically diverse, different bird dogs that we own. Um, Hyatt and I, uh, got the account together and the goal was really to keep it the same and spend the first six months just understanding the audience, um, or the community better. So I, I, you know, I overused the, uh, the, the poll, any survey story, like any survey feature I could use in, in IG stories, you know, the, the poll button, the question button. I was just asking tons and tons of questions and hopefully it wasn't annoying. I think a lot of people actually appreciated you know, when they could see percentages, I'd say, do you own this dog? Do you want this dog? Have you met this dog? Have you hunted with a Llewellyn setter? You know, or I'd ask like all kinds of questions. Uh, what was for me, I was initially just kind of trying to understand who the audience was, what they wanted. Cause the last thing I wanted to do was give them content they don't want. Um, and, and only after understanding kind of who they were, where they were located, what their, their wants and needs were, um, did we want to kind of, you know, refocus the content slightly. Um, and again, the goal was to turn it into a business at some point. Um, but you know, for the time being, it was a side hustle. Um, it was only gosh, a month ago or so that I went full time with this. Um, so it was two and a half years of being side hustle where it'd be an hour to two hours a day. And my wife would frequently question me like, why are you spending so much time on this? I'm like, Amy, (laughs) this is going to be huge. (laughs) Um, like I, we have a vision. It's going to be awesome. Um, so yeah, so we um, uh, we launched a website, you know, on Shopify. Gosh, what was it? I think August thirty first, twenty twenty one. I worked with you know a, a friend of mine, Casey Underwood, uh, yeah. to be our initial artist. He's an incredible um, digital artist based out of Bozeman, Montana, and he you know designed a, a collection of, of bird dog breeds and game bird, um, designs for us that we, you know, initially launched as stickers. And I, I think I mentioned this on, um, a podcast with maybe Travis on the flesh or something like that. But, um, yeah, the first day there was a, a huge number of sticker sales. I'll say that. And we were like, okay, we're onto something. Uh, so it's, you know, starting with a, a $6 item, it was like, okay, what are you going to do next? Well, the point was, um, what we wanted to put out there, like what I had, you know, from a, product and merchandising perspective, what I felt like, um, was missing in the market. Um, again, keep in mind my background is heavy in marketing, e-commerce, merchandising type stuff. 
what I felt like was missing was um, like breed collection merchandise and game bird specific merchandise. So like you know utility products, stuff that people need. You know, Final Rise, Onyx, stuff like that. Upland Gun Company, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like that. That's all very. Um, you you know that's 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 very um, design heavy, utility heavy. Need to be in the field, and, and it's it's um, it's commendable, complicated. Uh, for, it's um, from a discretionary perspective, as far as like product that people desire because they love their dog so much. Like that's the emotion that as a marketer I'm playing on. People love their dog so much. Um, they think about bird hunting all year. Like the bird hunting over indexes in people's mind in terms of how many days a year. If you take a calculation, yeah, say, no how many yeah. days a year do you actually hunt with your dog? And how many days a year do you think about hunting with your dog? It over indexes as an activity in my, you know, very subjective opinion, um, uh, you know, versus other things that you do in your life. Like, you know, if you have a bird dog, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, so yeah, the point 100%. there is, yeah, the point there is as a person, as a hunter, as a consumer, I'm like, you know, I'll be like, oh gosh, I, I love that shirt. You have a, a lab on your shirt, you know, I'll, you might see that here and there. Um, but I, it, it's, it's, uh, the, ex, it's, it's, um, more of the exception than the rule. So I felt like nobody's really gone hard on building out breed collection merchandise. Like if you are, you know, one of the things that hunters, um, one of the cool things about hunting and, and bird dogs is the community aspect. Like you connect with people over shared passions, right? So, you know, Mike is really, really connected with the Picardy community. Like you all have Picardies. Like, um, I'm really connected with waterfowlers in my, my area in Northwest Oregon. Um, so the point is, you know, if I kind of zoom out and say, like, what are merchandise collections we can build that um, groups of people, as a marketer, I'd say affinity groups, people who have, you know, commonalities. Uh, as a person, I'd just say, like, people who have shared passions. Um, what are merchandise collections we can build that these different groups of people are, are going to, A, want, but B, love, and C, share? And so that's why we started out with breed collections. Um, we picked Casey as our as our artist. Working with him has been awesome. He's fantastic. Um, and since then, we've kind of built out the product line to go from, you know, stickers to pint glasses to whiskey glasses. Um, so drinkware. We're about to launch an amazing line of um, kind of like Yetis, uh, but not Yeti mm. uh, tumblers, um, uh, wine tumblers. Uh, we're about to launch teas. So the point is. Zooming out at a high level, the the you know most companies or brands start out with an idea and they build they build their brand and their product line first, and then the audience comes next. What's unique about us is we started with an audience, and then we then we asked ourselves the question: so what is the brand and what is the product line? So right. um, it's been a bit of a process, but you know another kind of quick thought on it is you know. Some people know Bird Dog of the Day just as, oh, that's an Instagram account I know or I love. Um, really what that is, that's kind of the central flywheel of our business in terms of it's where we get to feature people's dogs. Like it's a storytelling platform. Um, and and what, what we're trying to build around that is, you know, valuable content or product or services that are related to that. So right now we have product, you know, through Bird Dog of the Day. but. In the future, and we've we've kind of teased this before, but you know, Mike and Hyatt and I have you know some big plans on some other things that we want to put out into the world, um, as far as you know DIY private land hunting leases, so for, for instance, or other things that I will uh, 
I'll, I'll wait to throw out once they're ready. But the point is, <laughs> um, people want, people love to talk about their dog and we're, we're playing on that and we're, we're here to, we're here to share the stories. We're here to share the photos. And at the end of the day, I just want to inspire people, you know, like, yes, we sell product and yes, we, 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 we have a business out of this, but at the end of the day, we want to keep the account and the brand true to what it initially was, which is, it's more about you and your dog than it is about me or what we're doing. You know, yeah. it's all about the dog. It's all about the story. And so we're striving to step into that more every single day. Yeah. Uh, very cool. That's definitely uh, sort of summarizes the some of the history I knew and and shared a bit more that I that I didn't know. But I'm I, I'm glad you brought up the stickers and stuff because I w- I definitely wanted to get there. I think when I listened to an episode of some podcast, I think it was maybe Tyler's podcast, um, Webster. Yep. Not long after you guys had took over and and uh, I had known of Casey Underwood and and I don't know if I had seen his design. It sounds like you guys maybe commissioned him to do that stuff. I'm looking at the one of his sharp tail stickers here on my uh, sharp tail taupe Yeti uh, Yeti water bottle. You know, it's like oh, nice. exactly to your point. You know, like whether you hunt ten days a year or or eighty days a year, like you you identify as a bird hunter, and yeah. and we look for these little things to sort of to sort of portray that identity. You know, I'm, I'm no different in that. I've got, I've got a handful. I think I bought the, I was going to ask you about this. I think I bought the stickers direct from Casey, some of his bird and, and the dog yeah. designs and stuff, but they're on your website. How does that work? Like you guys are just kind of in collaboration on, on all the bird dog and game bird stuff. So he, so he has, I mean, he has his own art business and, um, you know, he sells, uh, stickers and prints, uh, like the bird dog and the game bird stickers and prints on his website. We sell those as well, um, but for the last couple of years, we have an official licensing agreement with him where we we license his designs onto additional merchandise. So, gotcha. for example, the whiskey glasses, pint glasses, the shirts we're about to launch, you know, that's exclusively av- available through us. Um, we've been working in the background. Uh, some folks know we haven't launched it yet, but um, we have been working in the background hard to get some new designs. So we've got a couple more artists that we're working with that I'm really really excited to launch soon. Um, on some additional product types as well. Because um, again, we're, we're, we're looking to, like, KC style is incredible. It is awesome. Um, art, art is subjective. Some people like this style, yep. some people like that style. So we're trying to kind of like how a big, you know, a big important thing for me um, on our Instagram account is not just sharing GSPs and labs and Britney's. You know, like, <laughs> I very much want to share. I'm so glad we have Mike because I, I want him to talk about Picardies because, you know, I want to share the lesser known breeds. We're here to evangelize the breeds. We're here to, um, you know, to bring, um, <clears throat> you know, to bring light to a lot of breeds breeds uh, that people don't know about. Sure. Because what, this is another topic to step into t- as well. But, like, um, there's a couple bullet points I want to get across. Like, I guess... Um, we need to put hunting in a good good light. Like that's very important for us because we have the eyeballs. That's great, but like it, it makes me feel like we have responsibility to display the breeds properly. Now that doesn't mean that you know, um, like I am not. Um, gosh, I'm not a field judge. Like I, at best, I'm an armchair field trial judge. Like yeah, yeah. like I'm a curator. I'm just like a, a normal guy, right? But like um, you're like but, a podcast host. <laughs> well, we're we're facilitators, you know. They put ourselves right. out there, and then we just put up put people that are, 
you know, more knowledgeable or, or whatever in, in front of, in front of the masses. And so, yes, no, you do an incredible job of that. Um, way better than myself and you have way more background with that. So, (laughs) but the point is, um, like these lesser known breeds, you know, um, I, I'm really excited to evangelize those. And, um, you know, one, one fun thing we do every single March, well, the last two Marches and this, this coming March we'll do is, um, a bird dog madness bracket. And that goes absolutely mm. bonkers. I can imagine. <laughs> um, but really what it, and it's just for fun, you know, like, you know, I, I definitely, I don't try to start fights. People are always like, Oh, don't throw a silver lab in there or right, you know, right. don't put a GWP versus a, a German wire hair versus a drop. You know, you're going to you get can't people avoid fighting. that stuff in the bird dog world, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, I'm like, you know, I, I know what to, I've, I've done this long enough. I know what to avoid, but um, it's fun to do that. If you know, people are, like I said, that whole mind share thing, people think about this. I want people to have something to talk about, you know, um, life's hard enough as it is. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to throw it to Mike too to talk Picardies and the breed because that's you know one uh, one thing that I've done through surveying is asking people what dog breed do you have? Yeah, and something like thirty five percent of our audience has a GSP or a lab. Um, I've got all the numbers. You know, I keep it in my you know uh, in my in my locked up stash of information, right, but. Right. Um, you know, um, there's a lot of breeds that are amazing and incredible and, and haven't been ruined, so to speak, by, uh, you know, from a hunting perspective, uh, as far as their, their, their bloodlines, mm-hmm. um, uh, that just are not that well known. But Mike can speak more to that for Picardies and probably some other breeds than myself. Cause again, I'm just a lab guy. I'm just a, I'm just a Benelli Nova pump shooting lab guy. <laughs> right, right. I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're, you're basically, yeah, the redheaded stepchild, of just a lab guy. <laughs> yep. Um, I am, but a mere, I'm, but a mere duck hunter. Yeah. Apologies to to the redheads out there. It's my bad. <laughs> it's okay. My beard is red, and I don't take offense. <laughs> Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit UplandGunCompany.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I, I do. We will talk Pickardies. I want to get a little bit, and, and both you guys can answer here. But um, I am. I just want to. I'm curious a little bit about sort of the curation side of things because, well, I was originally going when I was first asking you a question is, do you see Bird Dog of the Day as as like a because I've always associated just with upland hunting, right? And there's this distinction, and you know, I've duck hunted. I I like waterfowl hunting. I don't really do it much yeah. anymore. But um, these bird dogs, you know, they span the gap between between upland and waterfowl. And sometimes people like all these descriptors, like gun. Do you say gun dog? Do you say bird dog? And what do you mean by that? Do you do you see sort of bird dog of the day as equally upland waterfowl, just kind of anything bird dogs or gun dogs? You know, that's a great question, and it'd probably be a high-engaging post if I got people talking about that. Right. Yeah, because, you know, I, in in, uh, in conversations, you know, um, I, I've, I've had a few debates, a few spirited conversations about it with a few folks. Um, but at, at a high level, you know, this is, again, my subjective mm-hmm. opinion after rolling around a ton of quantitative and qualitative data, if you will. Um, the way I'd summarize it is, I think the word bird dog to most people is generally more associated with upland. It's more associated with <clears throat> pointing dogs than it is, say, retrievers. Um, duck dogs is certainly a term that's heavily used to mean duck, you know, yeah. duck hunting dogs. Like labs, very heavily labs, but also chessies, you know, duck tollers, you know, some other breeds. You know, gun dog is a, is a third word, you know, then you're talking, you know, you know, that, that also can relate to, you know, when it, guys that are hunting other um, non-bird animals, you know, with, with their dog, which is, uh, there, that's a, there's less of that, I think. But I think yeah. the point is, to everyone, it means a, a little bit of a different thing. I've always, myself, subjectively, sample size one said bird dog. That's my bird dog. And to be honest, not coming from a heavy upland hunting background, and again, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, um, like the way that guys talk about their dogs around me, they, they, they just say my dog, you know, they don't, or sometimes they'll say my, you know, my duck dog, but I don't really hear people in person saying gun dog, uh, at all Yeah. or, yeah. <clears throat> or duck dog too much. It's more like when you're writing it out. Um, Mike could speak to what he kind of see his perspective on the, uh, in, in the Southeast, um, is, yeah. but I, I think, I think, um, the way that I like to look at it is gun and dog, those two words together, if you're hunting and you have a gun and a dog in that context, then you can properly wrap your your dog in the context of gun dog. Duck dog, you're hunting ducks. Um, bird dog, if you're hunting birds with a dog, to me, that's just me. And that's how I'm trying to play this thing. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, if it's appropriate to say bird dog. Here's a couple stats, though. 73% of our audience hunts upland. Okay, 
Yeah. Um, at, at least one day a year. Sixty-five percent of our audience hunts waterfowl. Okay. Waterfowl one one plus day a year. So there's a big overlap in those two things. So I think bird dog is more certainly has more Google search volume, you know, hashtags, things like that. But more importantly, I just feel like loosely, it's appropriate enough, but it also creates enough fun spirited conversations to use it. So yeah, yeah, that, that's. I, I mean, I'm kind of like you. I think a lot about like I don't know how <laughs> interesting or relevant this is to the to the whole audience, but I I think about sort of like the literal nature of things and like it just you can kind of get into into the weeds with that stuff. But bird dog, t- to your point, is kind of like that's kind of the one that sort of rises above. Like even has like pop culture references or like you know yeah. there's like clothing brands like bird dog this and that that are not even really like overtly hunting things but they're but they're bird dogs so i've that's kind of what i've always sort of has resonated with me as well it wouldn't have the same ring as a brand if we called it versatile dog of the day (laughs) yeah Yeah. i would i would unfollow you no i'm just kidding (laughs) it's too long anyway i don't have enough characters mike what would be your quick take on that i'm curious Well, I yeah, I'm 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 not uh, coming at it from a. Uh, and by the way, Seth, you're you're not just a lab guy. You're so much more than that. <laughs> well, um, I appreciate it. <laughs> as as evidenced by that string of statistics, uh, right. you're a uh, you're a uh, CMO, Chief Marketing Officer Extraordinaire. Um, I don't tend to I don't tend to striate the, the demographics like that quite as much, uh, Nick, because you know that's not my role in the organization. It is Seth. Yeah. And he, he parses the thing like that. I, I really come at it from the inside out. Um, <clears throat> you know, I look at uh, uh, at our organization as a, really as a community. I mean, if, if the last couple of years have taught us anything, um, you know, I think people are really hungry for a sense of connection, uh, a sense of community. You know, it's a it's a turbulent world uh, and it seems like it's getting more so by the day. So I really look at it from the inside out. You know, I, I, I look at us as a as Bird Dog of the Days being a community of really ardent people and passionate people organized around a certain lifestyle, uh, certain activities, you know, with a certain ethos that they they live their life by in general, but that really comes to the fore in their in their you know outdoor activities. So, you know, if if you're sitting in a blind shooting ducks, uh and you've got a dog by your side, that's good enough for me. Um, you know, I want you in my, uh, in my uh, uh, living room of my hunting cabin uh, talking about the day's activities. If you're, uh, if you're a pointer guy running large on the prairies out west and uh, hunting sharp tail, that's fine. If you're shooting doves in Georgia, that's fine with me. Rough grouse in the mountains of Georgia or up in the northeast, all that's good uh, as far as I'm concerned. And and uh, your dog's a dog uh, that loves to to uh, to hunt, and uh, the common you know the common theme is a bird, whether it's a duck or a sharpie or what have you. So um, that's really what I'm focused on. That's really what attracted me to to this uh, organization and to to Hyatt and Seth in the in the first place. It's a very long and winding road how I came to meet these guys. Um, and we don't have time today, but maybe over a beer sometime we can we can talk about that long and winding road. Yeah. Uh, but the bottom line is, I'm really big on people, and when I uh, met these two guys, uh, I knew almost from the beginning uh, that they were uh, quality people, and that they shared a passion, and they were passionate about bird hunting and dogs. 
And that was enough for me. And so, you know, I look at it as despite all the statistics and whatnot that Seth uh, just laid out, which is which is critical to what we're trying to do. Right. Um, you know, I'm looking at it from the community standpoint. And, and for me, it's a big tent. Yeah, I love to I love to share these products with the people that are in our community. And I, I want to, you know, try to offer and, and provide to them the kinds of things that we would want. But the the overriding factor for me is is just, you know, community and it's organized around uh, birds and dogs. And, um, you know, I, every aspect of of our company, of our organization, uh, I think to date's been built. And as we go forward, certainly is going to be built to support, you know, that that kind of compassion, uh, passion that that people display, you know, in, for upland hunting or duck hunting, what have you. Um, you know, one of the things that's striking to me as I, as I try to think about where we are and where we might go, uh, with this company is just the number of people that are out there. You know, when you're out walking with four of your buddies and it's the four of you walking, you're, you're sharing a certain sense of community, you know, a sense of identity and, and passion out there. And, what I think this does, given you know where we are with today's technology and stuff, it allows you to take that sense of community that you feel with your three or four buddies, you know, out there uh, on a on a biting cold November day when you ask yourself why, why am I out here chasing you know sharpies all over the prairie in the freezing cold, you know, if you're out there doing it, you can answer that question. It's an easy answer, but it's that passion, and I think you know having the Instagram pages and the and the Facebook pages and sort of the technology that we have today allows us to share this with you know literally hundreds of thousands of people um and and that's exciting to me i i want to i want to try to stoke that passion and everybody that's involved uh with our community and our brand so that that's the way i come at it that's a very long-winded answer i think to a simple question but um i don't spend a lot of time worrying about whether you got a duck dog or a bird dog or a you know, uh, a retriever, what have you. Um, I think if you have a dog and it wants to hunt, that's good enough. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly appreciate that sentiment, Mike. And fun as Seth and I might have sort of getting into the weeds and thinking about that stuff, I, at the end of the day, like sometimes our differences are, are at the forefront, like they stand out, you know, a, a English setter running rough grouse hunter versus a, you know, a lab waterfowl guy or something. But the things that we have in common are, are often, you know, that's a much bigger overlap there. Like we have so much in common, our, our love of shotguns and firearms and public lands and wild places. So uh, I definitely appreciate that. And that's really at the end of the day, I think what we have in common and our and our connectedness through some of these platforms and channels that you mentioned that that's really what what is important in all of this you know um one quick thing uh the 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 post i threw up this morning um this doesn't happen often um but as as a guy who ruined my wedding photos by just just crying tears when my wife walked down the aisle i just completely <laughs> ruined the wedding um well not the wedding but the photos um <laughs> This, this morning I threw up a post that, you know, was, uh, it's a video about uh, a Yellow Lab's last hunt, you know, so go give it a watch. But uh, when I when I saw that first, like, I, it got me to tear up a little bit, you know. I'm not ashamed to say that because anyone that's lost a dog, I mean, I lost my, it was, it literally looked like, it was flooded timber, it looked like the spot where I hunted with my chocolate lab his last hunt three years ago. Um, and, um, 
you know, it's just the connection people have with their dog is really only understood um, when, when you've done it. But and I'm I'm saying like all dog owners, but but I feel like um, you know bird dog owners, and and the more you hunt with your dog, it's a really special connection. Yeah. Um, because you have all of these two different species have this experience together with a common goal, training all year, um, and. It, you can't really, I can't, at least I can't really put it into words. So that's why, you know, again, uh, a marketing concept I have is show, don't tell. You know, like, just show people. Like, show people what it's about. Because a funny thing is, you know, when you talk about bird dogs, um, you know, kind of, uh, or, or, or these different breeds kind of evangelizing for the hunting community, there's people all over that have, let's say, a German short hair. And they don't hunt, they never hunted, they don't know anything about hunting. But they still say... Oh, his his grandfather was a, a master hunter, a grand champion, and they don't even know what they're talking about. But they like to say it. They like to know that their dog is capable of these great things, you know, that our ancestors have done or whatever. So, I I feel like bird dogs are great for people that hunt. Like it's a it's a fun thing, but also they are an acquisition tool to conservation because if you hunt, you're more likely to throw dollars towards conservation, and if you don't hunt, you're more likely to. If you have a, a bird dog, right? You know, then if you don't, yep. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm kind of making stuff up here, but if you follow <laughs> what I'm saying, I'm saying, I think about acquisition and retention from a business perspective, and I look very much look at bird dogs as an emotional tool to get people uh, to do good things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I speaking from experience, I, I imagine all of us would would say something similar. But I mean, bird dogs have have changed my life in many ways absolutely a net positive you know extremely and in many ways that i predicted but also didn't predict and i think that's that's pretty common sentiment from folks but yeah they're they are very powerful in many ways and i mean we all love we all love our dogs we love all dogs right but but to your point that working dog something about that hunting dog i mean it just it really deepens the connection between you the dog what you're doing the activity the landscape, the birds, everything. I mean, that's that's certainly how I think about it. Hundred percent. So I'm curious, like when it comes to the the curation of bird dog of the day, kind of based on some of the things you said. Like, what what are you looking for? I mean, you know, I think we can naturally say, well, a, a great picture of a dog in the field, that kind of thing. But what are the things that you are looking at and considering as far as the pictures that you post and uh, specifically, you know, wanting to show hunting in the right way and the right light because yeah. that's that's a thing in 2023. Yeah. Like, what what do you think about when it comes to that? Well, I mean, we're in the business of entertaining folks, I'd say, more than or inspiring folks more than uh, uh, educating folks. Project yeah. Upland, right? Like, that's obviously heavy content educational. So, um, again, like I said, armchair armchair curator over here. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm seeking to create entertaining, inspir- inspiring content. So I'll look at what's different. You know, like I'm am like, so the sp- some specific things. Like I said, you know, I, I do look to uh, have a good representation of breeds, right? So yep. Representation is important from that perspective. I do look to have good portfolio representation of locations. I don't want to just just post guys in you know aspirational Montana right. as much as people love that. Um, I am looking to have a good representation of uh, this is an, this is a, a weird one to say, but quality of the photograph. And what I mean by that is what I'm not looking to do is just put up 
professional dog photos because mm-hmm. it's it's the internet 2023 that's boring like that's that is inaccessible i want this brand to feel very much for us by us in terms of like we are bird hunters this is for us if it's just and i want people to know that they can get their dog featured so if i just you know post you know beautiful professional photographs then people don't feel like they have a chance so yeah I want to have a dog with a good story. Maybe there's a three-legged dog that I haven't found yet that bird hunts. You know, the other day I posted a, a Frenchie. You know, that's a French bulldog, the number one dog in America. <laughs> um, you know, like that's that's uh, that's blasphemy to some people, but you know, it's it's going crazy right now. So my point is, I want diversity in uh, content type. So doing a lot more reels. You know, I mean, I'm I'm playing the game as far as like sure, getting sure. people different types of media. I want some long form, some short form, mostly short form. I mean, Instagram's quick, snappy medium, you know, people don't have time. Um, but I want to mix it up. I want it to feel different. I don't want it to feel dated. I don't want it to feel like anything else. I want it to feel authentic. Uh, so at the end of the day, I mean, you know, as a marketer, I'm, I'm always thinking about numbers and, and, and data and whatever, but like great marketing is really art on top of science. The science, the, the numerical stuff, um, it's not what's important. It's just what I, it's the nerd that I, that I do in the background. Once I understand that, you know, I'll call it manual AI. Once I understand that, I'll put art on top of that, which is the creative. Um, and the, the real KPI that I'm after, you know, the, the, for those that don't sit in boring corporate, you know, <laughs> marketing business meetings, instead of likes or comments or reach, I would say it's tears, it's feelings, it's emotions. I'm all about the feel. So that's a subjective thing that like can't really be quantified. It's really, I'm just, I'm about the feel. So I'm trying to put out stuff that's got the feel. I don't know if you saw that movie Moneyball, Oh yeah. you know, Clint Eastwood and Brad Pitt, you know, you've got, you've got the numerical manufactured approach of, uh, you know, getting a great baseball team versus, you know, Clint Eastwood just getting the feel of someone that's been in it forever. I'm only 30, Eight thirty nine. I don't even know what I. Gosh, when you're thirty eight or thirty nine, you don't even know your age. <laughs> I'm I'm right there with you, and yeah, yeah. I, I could say I have a similar feeling. <laughs> you forget, so, Pre- so probably so trying I, to forget. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm like, um, yeah, it's the age where when someone thinks you're older, you're offended, but when they think you're younger, you're also slightly right, offended. Right. You're, you're not sure yet. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, I. I don't yet have, you know, the knowledge and wisdom like Mike has of, you know, way more hours in the field to necessarily be able to spot, um, gosh, that's, look at the way that that dog locked up and its tail is 12 o'clock. Like, I don't necessarily know those things from my personal experience. So I will, that's, that's why I myself like do this data deep dive and qualitative questioning of what I call breed experts, you know, trainers around the country or people that I, we met at Pheasant Fest. I'm like, Hey, you know, like when we get a new design, sometimes I'll throw it up to, you know, some breed experts that I consider yeah. um, to know the breeds. And I'll say, hey, just want to make sure, is this is this meeting confirmation? Does the dog do that? And um, that helps me know from a quantitative perspective, like, yes, this checks the box. But from a qualitative perspective, is that going to get the feeling, the emotion? Is You know, is that going to, like, shares. If there's a metric that matters the most, I suppose it's shares. Sure. Okay? And, and again, I don't like to talk about this brand or this company in terms of metrics. But I'm, I'm trying to just un- open up the hood so that you know kind of what's underneath the, you know, uh, yeah. top layer of, of what people see. And that's how we, that's how we arrive at um, what is curated, what makes it, what doesn't. But we get 300 to 500 submissions a day. It's a Jeez, lot to look at. that's crazy. Yeah. 
Uh, how many followers does the account have right now? Uh, I don't know. It was, a, uh, I think, 162,000. There's a couple reels that are going off right now that are driving a bunch of growth. But um, it's we, it was 120 when we started. Okay. And I will say I wish we got it in 2013 because that's when, you know, my neighbor down the street, you know, that sells flowers out of her front yard could have grown an Instagram account faster than I can now. Right. Um, right. So now you have to work a lot harder at it. Um, but again... I don't care about the numbers. I care about the connection to Mike's point. And it's really just about curating the feeling. Yeah. Mike, Mike, you were going to jump in there with something. Yeah, I was going to say, Nick, my take on it is, you know, listening to Seth, the pictures that resonate with me as, you know, just as a consumer, not as, as a part owner of the business, but just, just uh, looking at our Instagram account and our social media, the thing, the, sure, if you see a beautiful dog, you know, with perfect confirmation, locked up on point, uh, in some beautiful setting, um, that's fantastic, and and I admire that, and I can appreciate that uh, as a hunter and as a as a bird dog owner. Um, but you see a lot of those pictures. I think the thing that really resonates with me when I uh, uh, when we curate this stuff and it gets posted is when you can, as a viewer, when you can you can see and feel as to Seth's point, actually feel the connection between the dog and the hunter mm-hmm. coming through in that in that post in that picture, and it doesn't even mean that the Hunter necessarily needs to be in the photo with the dog, but but the photo conveys the message to you that there's a connection between this bird dog and this this hunter, um, and in this particular scenario depicted in the Instagram photo, you know because you're uh, also out there in similar situations, you can feel the emotions of the hunter yeah. come through. You know. Uh, how the dog feels. You might even suspect how the dog's going to react because your dogs have done similar things. And to me, those resonate much more deeply than just, you know, a photo of of a, a dog locked on point, even if all the rest of the aesthetics are perfect, the confirmation of the dog, the, the location, the scenery, et cetera. Um, th- those are great. But what really resonates with me are the are the ones where you can actually feel the connection between that dog and and his uh and the hunter in that photo yeah i i got you i mean we could dance around it it's it's one of those things that's just it's not as easy to put into words as some things but i think i think everybody listening has an idea of what you're you know when you see it you know it you know and you feel it i mean yeah. it's for lack of a better word that's that's just it so yeah i appreciate that and it's cool it's cool to obviously get to know you guys a little bit and i think you know, again, it is a large Instagram account. It's been around for a long time, so I think there's some familiarity with it. Whether or not people have any idea who the people are behind it, um, I guess if you're listening to this show, you you have a little bit better idea now. But we're not quite done. I, I don't I don't want to miss this opportunity. We we hinted at it a little bit, but Mike, tell me a little bit about Pickardy Spaniels. But like, how did like how did you get here? You know, what how did you get into? I usually ask people how they got into bird hunting and bird dogs, and um, obviously in in a you know, with, with the time that we have here, tell me a little bit about how you got into Pickardy Spaniels and, and give me the rundown on them. Sure. Sure. Well, uh, as Seth knows, I can go on for hours about the breed, <laughs> but I won't, I won't do that. I know we're constrained uh, for time here. Um, I'll give you the reader's digest version. Yeah. Um, and it really starts with my son, uh, Nick, uh, who hunts, uh, with, uh, falcons and hawks and, uh, for his graduation in high school back in 2015, I believe it was, he wanted a GSP for graduation. 
So I said, fine. Uh, and we got him a GSP. And I love that dog. Her name's Wrigley. She's still around. Nick's still hunting hard with her. But she just was too much dog for me. Um, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want her ranging out so far and chasing her around and whatnot. So I started to look for a breed that was, uh, didn't have quite the drive. Um, but I still wanted, you know, a good engine in the dog. And I was really looking at Brittany Spaniels and I even visited a couple breeders. One, I thought I was going to get a dog from, and when I visited, uh, there was a mix up in communication. The pup had already been taken. Uh, so I arrived there expecting a pup and, and uh, I didn't get one or didn't even get a chance to look at one in uh, North Georgia. Um, so I started to look around and, you know, in your Google search, when you search for Brittany Spaniel, the 15th uh, hit that you have at the bottom was Picardy Spaniel just because of the Spaniel similarity. And I had never heard of this dog and I started to look. Uh, long story short, I couldn't find out any information. Uh, the only websites that I could find were in French. Um, I don't speak French, so I found myself cutting and pasting into Google Translator to try to figure out what was going on. And I couldn't get any information. And finally, uh, I found out that the reason I couldn't was that there were no breeders in the United States. Uh, at that time, which I guess was 2016, there were a couple of dogs uh, coming over from France and from England uh, into Canada primarily. There were one or two in North America. And so long story short, I jumped on that bandwagon. I, I don't know what you know about Picardy Spaniels, but they're beautiful dogs, just good looking, powerfully built dogs. Um, they have long brown, white and tan coats. It's kind of a, a gray mottled look with brown patches and they have um, tan markings, you know, oftentimes on their muzzle and their above their eyes and on their legs. Just a beautiful dog, confused sometimes with Gordon Setters, but when you put them mm. side by side, there's really nothing to confuse. Okay. But in any event, what I really liked about them was their their personality. Uh, as I mentioned, they have this just incredible drive in the field, but you can bring them into your house and tell them to go lay down in the corner and, and you'll, you'll think you've got a golden retriever. Uh, I mean, they're just so biddable and so cooperative and all they want to do is please um, and yet they're resilient and they're tough. Um, the Picardy region of France is, is uh, you know, not an easy place to hunt. And, and they were bred there. That's where the breed developed. And so they've got this sort of toughness to them uh, out in the field. Um, but at the same time, when you bring them into the house, they're just super cooperative and, and biddable. And, and so I wanted a tough dog that could work in really tough conditions. But, um, you know, I wanted... Uh, you know, a dog that I could bring into the house and, and not have to uh, exercise every day if I didn't have time, which I don't have a lot of. They require very little training. Uh, I mean, I spent a fair amount of time with my dogs, but I'm convinced you could just take them out on wild birds out west for a yep. fall and you'd have a, you'd have a dog uh, that anybody would want to hunt over. So they're just, uh, they're just beautiful uh, from an aesthetic standpoint. From a personality standpoint, uh, you couldn't ask for more. And then there's the uniqueness factor. When I brought Tilly over from, uh, from I actually got her from England, uh, from a breeder there named uh, A.D. Maurice, uh, who has a kennel over there called uh, Shea Maurice. Uh, excellent breeder, a quality person, produces quality dogs. In fact, all four of my dogs are from his kennel. But I got a dog, I got Tilly from him in 2017. In February 2017, she flew into Orlando. 
Uh, I picked her up at the airport, took her through customs. Loved that dog. My wife fell in love with her as well. Uh, about a year later, uh, she was looking on 80's website and there was this dog, uh, this little male puppy that uh, she became smitten with. And she talked about him so much. I finally said to her one time, I think you want that dog, don't you? And she kind of looked at me and said, yeah, I kind of think I do. <laughs> so um, his name's Theo, and uh, I didn't waste any time. He was committed to a, a guy in Ireland. And uh, when that deposit fell through, I jumped on it, and 80 sent him over. Uh, about 18 months later, um, I was looking for another dog, and um, I saw one in 80's kennel that I liked, a female. Um, her name's Flirt. Um, and uh, I told 80 I wanted her, and he said, look, uh, she's a beautiful dog, and she'll do well uh, for you. But if you really want a hunting dog, you got to look at her brother. And so I did. And being the dog person that I am, I couldn't decide between the two, so I got them both. And uh, <laughs> so I have a brother and sister, so, I, so his name's Gus. So I've got Tilly and, and Theo and Flirt and Gus in my kennel, and um, they're just fantastic dogs. I I run them four at a time, sometimes out west, and they really? they, they back beautifully. They're they're bird finding machines. Um, you just really couldn't ask for more. So that's cool. That's that's really cool. I'll I'll, have to, I'll be looking up some photos. I'm curious to see see what they look like. I mean, maybe I've seen them, but I can't can't draw the vision up in my mind. So you'll have to you'll have to send me some photos. And it sounds like you're you're all set up. I know you got a big hunting trip coming up. We're really just getting started here. I mean, in Minnesota, it's been a little hot. We're at the very beginning of what I would deem the the best time of year. Um, so I'm excited, as I know you guys are, and we've got a lot of good times ahead. Yeah, I'm going to be up there for the pheasant opener. I think it's uh, I think it's the 14th with my friend Rick Plath and his wife Ellen. Rick's actually breeding Pickardies now in uh, Minnesota, or in Wisconsin at Cast Iron uh, Kennels, and oh, okay. uh, I think he's had maybe four or five litters. Leo's uh, Theo sired one of them, and uh, and Gus has sired another in another kennel. So um, there's about 250 Pickardies in the in North America right now, and uh, Rick's. Rick and Ellen have been a big part of that, uh, getting the breed popularized and spread around a good hunting family. So you may see more of them in the field as time goes on. If if somebody was curious, you know, their their interest is peaked and they want to learn more, um, would you recommend they contact somebody like Rick or where would you point them? Well, you can you can contact Rick directly. I think he's on all the social media at uh, Cast Iron Kennels. And um, the other place you could go is, I think the name of it is the North American, I'm sorry, the, uh, the U.S. Pickardy Spaniel Alliance, I think, is the, uh, is the website. And, um, you know, it's an amalgamation of information about Pickardy Spaniels. I think all of the breeders in the United States are members of that. And so you can, you can get a list of breeders. You can take a look uh, at the dogs that they've put on the ground. And I think Rick's the, uh, the the president of that. At least he heads it up. I don't know if he has the official title and curates that website and whatnot. whatnot. But I think it's the U.S. Pickardy Spaniel Alliance. Uh, just Google it, and I'm sure you'll run into it. Okay. Nick, uh, one of the things, as far as visualizing a Pickardy, um, we just launched a new Pickardy design ah. that Mike was instrumental in. And it's uh, we've got it in a decal and all the drinkware. I will say though, if people make a cocktail in the uh, the rocks glass, I wouldn't recommend putting Bacardi in there because then it's likely to make you say Picardi, which I found out <laughs> very early on was the wrong way to pronounce it. It's Picardy. <laughs> I, so 
you know, that's again one of those things, just a lab guy over here, like it's been awesome to learn about the different specialties of the breeds, the way yeah. to say the name, and all that stuff. But yeah, check out the, the Picardy design on our website, or we just threw it up on Instagram yesterday. Well, conveniently, I had the birddogofthedayweb.com website up here. I've, I'm looking at it now, and, and as with all, is that, that's a Casey Underwood design, I'm, I'm assuming? That one is not. That oh, one's it's a, not. A different, okay. Yeah, it's a different artist. So okay. if you go under Bird Dog Breeds, we've got, you know, uh, Picardies on there. We've got, yeah. we've got I don't know. I'll, the correct answer is we have not enough breeds on there because right, when you do right. one, people want another. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You gotta, you can't please everybody until you got them all, I guess. <laughs> We're working on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's very. I could I could definitely see someone confusing that with Gordon Setter. Um, definitely, uh, it's interesting. I don't know that I've. I'd like to like to see one. In pr- Mike, what what's the size? Like, what kind of what size dog are we talking? Yeah, I mean, they're good sized dogs. The the females will uh, range between uh, you know fifty and sixty pounds, okay. and uh, the males typically are you know sixty to seventy pounds. The my Gus is uh, seventy two in the off season. It gets down into the high sixties during hunting season, but. Um, you know, the breed standard would probably top out around there. There are a couple of dogs running around uh, North America. They're a little bigger than that, but they're really sort of pushing the limits of the breed standard. So um, they're good sized dogs, but, uh, you know, not so big that you can't handle them either. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I know we're, we got to wrap. Seth, you got to run here pretty quick. I, well, I just want to ask, like you mentioned three to 500 submissions a day. I mean, that's insane. I don't know how you, how you go through them. I imagine that's a, that's an uphill battle, but I know having that many submissions and you connecting with so many people, like I'm, I'm sure you hear stories and people share things like, and I'm not asking you to pick a favorite, but is there, is there any one that jumps to mind, like a, like a dog story or something that just, just something fun that, that you can think of? Um, boy, there's a bunch. Um, I'm biased with my own. Um, there's the, gosh, was it Rich's Hunter, the three-legged uh, Oh, one? yeah, Rich Wong. Yeah, that was a fantastic story. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I always love the unassuming breeds, you know, when uh, a Frenchie, for example, yeah. or uh, I think it's uh, backwater hunting dogs. I think they've got Gidget, uh, what is it? It's a, like a, a, some sort of a little tiny breed that you stuff in your pocket. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I, you know, I always love kind of the underdog. No pun intended. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> I can't pick a favorite, but no, it's, um, I probably need an EMF blocker for as frequently as I'm on, um, my phone, uh, <laughs> because <laughs> I, can only imagine. I, I do look at, I mean, I, I want to say I look at everything. I don't look at everything. I look at as much as I can. It's overwhelming, but, um, I will say this, um, maybe this isn't the right thing to say, but 90% of the photos are unusable. <laughs> sure. I mean, like we're like just blurry out of focus or like, it would, uh, as far as one more curation criteria that I use is, is this going to drive engagement? So if it's, uh, if it's a beautiful dog, but a terrible photo, it's going to get no engagement. That's right. not going to help us evangelize what we're doing. So yeah. it's not making the cut. So I have to balance different things again. You know, it's not any one thing, but, um, yeah, I, w- I would say, um, I'm going to have to pick my own dog, Milo. Okay, for for the for favorite favorite <laughs> dog ever on on bird dog. I'm not a good guy to ask. Everyone should pick their own dog. Right, right. And Mike yeah. would probably pick his own dogs because we we feature them. But Nick, I'll have to uh, I'll have to look through your your feed and have you send me some photos to feature. Yeah, well, we we I know you guys recently put up one of my friend's dog. It was a photo that I took 
that. Yep. I love that. I mean, that's just funny because, like, I can still remember being on top of that hill out Sharpdale hunting. Stella, my my buddy Garrett's dog, she's getting older now, and we had just got back from our trip. This picture was from a few years ago, but I mean, I can I can go right back there because I just like you know every once in a while a guy like me with an iPhone, you can get a, a photo that's just awesome. And I mean, I look yeah. at that and just like the bird is perfect. And Stella is just a classic Stella pose. She's got the bird in her mouth and the wing hanging down. And I mean, yeah. that I can put myself on that hilltop where that sharp tail flushed and she was pointing. And I mean, I'll remember that for a long time. So that's the beauty of it. You know, we can all capture moments like that and, and we can feel it, you know, to, to your point earlier, Mike, I mean, I think other people that sharp tail hunt that look at that and, could could feel some of those same things that I feel when I look at a photo like that. Yep, share your experience. Indeed, indeed. Well, I really appreciate it, guys. And uh, this was this has been fun. Like I said, getting to know you a little bit more. The the folks behind uh, uh, an account that I follow, and I imagine many many other people do. And I'm excited for you. I, I really uh, appreciate what you guys are trying to do, and I'll be eagerly paying attention to the things that you're working on and releasing in the future. And looking forward to it, Seth where birddogoftheday.com that's that's kind of the the hub obviously the instagram account anything else you would you would point people to i i encourage folks if you haven't go check out those decals and and stuff you know if you're a you're a game bird fan and a and a bird dog lover which i know you are listening to this podcast there's some stuff there for for your coolers and tumblers and trucks and all that stuff it's fun stuff yep birddogoftheday.com for merchandise and if you'd like to get your dog featured make a post on instagram Use the hashtag bird dog of the day and I'll see it. Or, you know, if you've got a private account and I can't see it, feel free to shoot me a DM uh, and I'll, I'll take a look at it there uh, with photos of your dog. Photos or videos. And I will say more video would be better and more vertical video would be better. Vertical ah. photos. Instagram hates horizontal <laughs> photos, so yep. square and vertical crops are always good. Got it. All right. Once again, thank you guys for joining us. Mike, I wish you the best of luck on your upcoming hunt. We will uh, we'll all be out there together and uh like i said we're we're just at the very start of the best time of year so uh best of luck to you and the dogs and thanks for joining us on this episode of the bird shot podcast guys nick it's been a pleasure thank you thanks nick Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.